good morning. Let's stand as we worship the Lord through song this morning. As we sing out, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's sing this out. joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. We are reinstating our bi-monthly meeting for the future leaders of Wixom, starting this Monday evening, March 6th at 7 p.m. in Link. This meeting is for all young men interested in serving their church in a leadership capacity someday. Teen boys and young adult men are encouraged to attend these important meetings in which doctrinal, practical, and church leadership issues will be discussed. Snacks will be provided. There will be a young adult fellowship on Tuesday, March 7 at 7 p.m. Snacks will be provided. Please see Bradley Tice with any questions. Community groups continue tonight at 5 p.m. If you are not yet connected with a Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet most Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. We have scheduled a baptismal service for next Sunday, March 12th. Please see Pastor Brad if you would like to be baptized or if you have any questions about baptism. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you would like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after this service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we presented to the church a constitutional amendment, and we asked the church to provide feedback to that amendment, and we appreciate everybody that did bring feedback. The deacons have been spending some time working on that, and we have a new proposed amendment to look at as a church two weeks from today in a special business meeting. That amendment has been posted out in the back on the table in the notebooks, or the notebook. There's two copies of it there. Um, None of the wording that was put in there last time was removed, but there were a few things added just to help protect the church and the school from liability issues. And so we appreciate those that helped us with that, and we invite you to read that over the next couple of weeks. We'll consider it uh, for adoption on the 19th. 
So glad to have you here today. Looking forward to a great day of worship this morning. Let's pray together as we begin our service. Father, we're so thankful for this day. And as I look out at your people, Lord, it's just a blessing to gather together on a beautiful Sunday morning and sing songs about Jesus, our Savior, and think about your truth in your word and to share communion together and to reflect on the gift of salvation made possible through the death of Jesus Christ. Lord, what a beautiful thing it is for the church to come together into one room and to sing praise to you. We want to do that well today. We want to worship you with a right spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us. May this not just be a time of music and teaching, Lord, but may this truly be a time of worship as we lift up Jesus for one another and as we think about your greatness, your eternal nature. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together today. Help us to use this time well. And, Lord, I would pray particularly for our guests today, and I know that there are several, that they would feel welcome and encouraged but most importantly, Lord, that they would see you more clearly and, and be helped in their spiritual life today. Thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this out. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, rose again to prove that he was the true son of God. And if we'll put our faith and trust in him, that's the gospel. He will save us. And he promises to do that. But that's all based off of his amazing power. We serve a great God. Amen. Let's worship him as we sing out. Oh, great God of highest heaven. Now to live the life. 
Amen. Thank you guys for that beautiful song. Psalm number 48, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Psalm number 48. We've been talking about albums of worship, psalms that help us think higher thoughts about God. And I've told you that on Sunday mornings what we want to do is really study a theology in the Psalms. And a theology is a study of God that answers two particular questions. The first question being who God is or what is God like? And the second question being how am I supposed to respond to this? The psalmist sees who God is and what God does and they worship him. And this is the right response, by the way. May this also be our response, that we would think higher thoughts of God. That is the goal of our Sunday morning messages and our follow-up conversations on Sunday night, that we would think higher thoughts of God because of this study in the Psalms. We began this study with a look at Psalm 150 and talked about the fact that our God is worthy of praise. His greatness should be applauded. It would be wrong for us to view the greatness of God and not applaud the greatness of God. That's what the psalmist reminds us of. And we're going to again today applaud a a characteristic of God that is great. Now we've considered that God is our advocate, our blesser, he's close, he's our counselor, he's the creator, he's our deliverer. Two weeks ago, Johnny brought us a message that God is the doer, and today, uh, our God is eternal. Our God is eternal, and this is from Psalm 48. So would you follow along with me as I read this psalm as we get started today? Psalm number 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, and in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it. And so they marveled. They were troubled. And they hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there. And pain, as of a woman in travail, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, God will establish it. Forever, Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks and consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Father, please help us to concentrate on your truth today. Please remove the distractions from my mind and the minds of each listener this morning that we might hear your truth and think higher thoughts of you. We pray this in our risen Savior's name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin, just to maybe get you thinking about something that we'll come back to at the end of our service as we celebrate communion. Have you ever thought about what makes something beautiful? What makes something beautiful? This is a hard thing to describe. In fact, it's sort of like describing what is love. Well, it's kind of hard to pin it down, right? So what is beauty? It's a little bit difficult to pin down. I'm reading a book right now that I'm just absolutely loving, reading it with a friend. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. And one of the chapters in this book talks about understanding who God is by viewing beauty. Beauty. And so the question then is approached kind of philosophically, what makes something beautiful? What makes anything beautiful? And he talks about three things that make something beautiful. One, he talks about contrast. Secondly, tension. And thirdly, silence. Now, if you've never contemplated this question before, those three things might kind of surprise you. Like, I, I don't know, contrast maybe makes a little sense. Tension, not sure what that's all about. And silence, I, I, don't, I don't know if I put that together with beauty. I'm going to try to explain that to you a li- in a little bit of detail today because I think it matters. It matters because as we worship, one of the things that we do when we worship is we think bigger thoughts of God. Right? We, 
we actually get a glimpse of his beauty. And one of the ways that we understand God's beauty today, his eternality, is by contrasting it with our own finiteness. Right? Like James says that my life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And if I, when I understand my life is so short and I think about the eternality of God and I think, wow, that is beautiful. Do you see the contrast? Understand? So let me just give you a couple of contrasts to think about for just a minute. For instance, loud music versus soft music. In one beautiful composition, you'll hear both. High notes and low notes, again, in a beautiful piece of music, you'll have both. You won't just have one high note. That's annoying. You're going to turn that off. Or you're going to press forward. Bigger thoughts of God, right? We, we actually get a glimpse of his beauty. And one of the ways that we understand God's beauty today, his eternality, is by contrasting it with our own finiteness, right? Like, James says that my life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And if I, when I understand my life is so short and I think about the eternality of God and I think, wow, that is beautiful. Do you see the contrast? Understand? So let me just give you a couple of contrasts to think about for just a minute. For instance, loud music versus soft music. In one beautiful composition, you'll hear both. High notes and low notes, again, in a beautiful piece of music, you'll have both. You won't just have one high note. That's annoying. You're going to turn that off or you're going to press forward or thumbs down or something, right? You want contrast and high and low. How about this one? This one will speak to the men, I think. Crunchy and chewy, right? That's a contrast I think we can find in bacon. Savory and sweet. Do you like savory and sweet together? Most of the time we do. A little bit of salt on a chocolate chip cookie it makes my mouth water just thinking about it. My favorite, my new favorite ice cream is Chubby Hubby. Any Chubby Hubbies out there? Any Chubby Hubby lovers out there? Okay. A few of both. Chubby Hubby, you know what I'm saying? It's got the cream and it's got caramel and then it's got these pretzels that are salty and covered with chocolate and filled with peanut butter. It's like all of the things I dream about all in one little tub. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Contrast. How about a sunrise and a sunset? Contrasting day with night or a mountain and a grassy slope or male and female. Beautiful. An island and water. There's this place in the Bahamas. This is a picture of Eleuthera Island in the Bahamas where the Atlantic meets the Caribbean. That's for real. It looks just like that. Isn't that cool? Dark on one side, light on the other. Contrast. Beautiful creation. A desert and an oasis. A brightly colored firework in a night sky. Today, we're going to talk about a characteristic of God that is so beautiful because it is contrasted with everything we know being temporary. Everything we, I don't know if you've seen this in your life or not, but everything wears out. We throw away a lot of stuff. I was thinking of that last Tuesday night as I was hauling my trash cans out to the street. Wow, we throw away a lot of stuff. That's because everything's temporary. It wears out. It gets bad. But God is permanent. God is eternal. And this morning we want to worship him for that. What's really interesting, in verse number 14 of our passage, you see the two put together. Notice what he says. He says, for this God is our God forever and ever. And then he talks a little bit about us. He will be our guide until we die. <laughs> We're not forever and ever, but he is forever and ever. So what does God's eternality mean for you today? You see, can be uh, uh, theology can, can feel very impractical. Like God is eternal, but I got to go to work tomorrow, right? God is eternal, but I'm praying for my electricity to get turned back on, you know? God is eternal, but I'm sick of snow. I mean, it's just like we live in a very practical and temporal world. And so it can be easy for us to look at the beauty of God, but not let it change us. Not let it change the way that we think. And what I want to challenge you today is there's some things in this psalm that if we stop and we look a little more deeply, 
There's some things that his eternality mean for us. It's actually maybe ironic that we have trouble slowing down to think about eternity. Because our lives are so temporary, because life is moving so quickly, because things are wearing out, and I'm getting a sense that I'm wearing out in middle age, right? That life is not forever. So then what do I do to salve that, to make me feel a little bit better? I just cram as much as I possibly can into my life, and I don't have time to think about eternity. And yet this morning, this is exactly what the psalmist says. Think about how eternal God is. The very first song that we sang this morning was about God's eternality and the everlasting song of praise. The everlasting song. Did you know that worshiping God is an everlasting song that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years? The angels are on the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. This everlasting song. And the challenge this morning is, will you join the song? Will you worship Him for his eternality, or will you endure 40 minutes of somebody talking, right? That you, you can do either one this morning, and the goal is to worship God for his beautiful, eternal nature. So I want you to see that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Let me just remind you what that word means. That means that his greatness should be applauded. It would be wrong, Jesus said this when he was entering into Jerusalem on the donkey, it would be wrong for somebody to experience the presence and the greatness of God and not applaud it. So the right thing for God's people is to say, wow, God is great. You might say, well, how great? Psalm 95 tells us how great. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I mean, think about how great God is and the response that we should rightly respond with. You and I cannot even conceive of his greatness. That would be like asking a worm to figure out calculus. Ain't going to happen. It's impossible for finite humans to wrap their mind around the greatness of God. Temporal creations can never grasp it. Which means we can never run out of things to praise God for. There's no limit to human praise of eternal God. We can't even wrap our minds around eternal God. So there's always something we can worship him for. He is greatly to be praised. And the psalmist in this psalm actually points out a couple of things that remind the psalmist of God's greatness. Now, you might have other things in your life that remind you of God's greatness. But here's what the psalmist says. Look, he's eternally praiseworthy And so I'm going to praise him for his greatness. I'm going to praise him for his great city. Verses 1 and 2 talk about this. The city of our God. The psalmist is talking about Jerusalem, the pinnacle of worship. It is beautiful. It is high on a hill. It is holy. And it did not make the psalmist think, what great architecture. What great planning. What beauty. Instead, what the psalmist thought when they looked at Jerusalem was, wow, what a great God. That city, that's the place where we meet with God. And by the way, can I just tell you, as a a bit of an aside, this is not really a theological application so much as it is a New Testament connection. Did you know that the church believers in general, we're called a city This is one of the metaphors of the New Testament. It's actually a metaphor that Jesus used. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. The church is a city, and it is a city that is supposed to be shining a bright light on the world around it. But here's the amazing connection in Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? 
your father. So in other words, here's what Jesus says. When the world sees the church, and I don't mean a brick building with a green roof. I mean when they see you on Monday morning at work. When the world sees the church, the world should say, wow, what a great God. That's what the psalmist said when he saw Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus said the world should say when they see us. He is eternally praiseworthy. The psalmist is applauding this, applauding this city, applauding God's greatness. He's applauding God's great king in verse 2, the city of the great king. Certainly, he's probably thinking of the temporal king of God's people. But you and I, I think, when we think of the great king of Jerusalem, should think of Jesus, King Messiah, who will eventually reign there. The psalmist is also applauding God's great reputation. Verse 3, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. God is known there. This is where people meet with God. And he's known as a refuge from life. Our school went to camp at Camp Penile. You might have might remember having um, the director here for a, for a Sunday presentation, Camp Penile in Ohio. I wasn't familiar with that word penile, but that, that word penile is a Bible word. It's actually the place where Jacob wrestled with God. You remember that story? And, and the camp sign says, come to Camp Penile and meet God face to face. I think that's really great. Meet God face to face. And this is really the, the way that people should view the church. If, if I have a problem, I know where I can find God. God is there at that church. God is there within those people. God is eternally praiseworthy for these things. His greatness, his city, his king, his reputation. Secondly, he's eternally fearsome. You can never have too much respect for an eternal God, right? A temporary, fragile, finite creature can never have too much respect for an eternal God. That's impossible. Look at verse number 4. And we learn here that smart kings marvel at God. Verse number 4, For lo, the kings were assembled, and they passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled, and they were troubled, and they hasted away. You ever think this? You ever pray this? Wouldn't it be nice for our kings, our, our political leaders, to stand in fear of God a little bit? Right? To, to, to consider the decision that they're about to make and say, Whew, You know what? I wonder what God thinks about this smart kings smart rulers marvel at god and i'm going to show you what happens when they do here's the picture the psalmist is picturing a group of kings and their armies and they're marching on jerusalem here they come they got their banners they got their horses they got their tools they got their ladders whatever they're going to come and they're going to siege jerusalem and they come up and then they realize "Uh oh god is there And so what do they do? It says they saw it and they marveled, they troubled, or they were troubled, and they ran away like little girls. That's what the the implication is. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. We just want to remind you, do you remember the, the King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember that guy? Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of went through a personal epiphany on who God is and it changed his view of who he was. He was a king and he thought he was pretty special until God put him in his place. Daniel said to him, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go crazy and live like an animal and be driven from society until you learn an important lesson. Here's the lesson he needed to learn. He was thinking, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Here's what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking. Ain't I special? And that's what he was thinking. Like, I'm pretty awesome. And by the way, powerful people sometimes start to feel this way. And I don't just mean like internationally powerful. In your little world, maybe you have a position of power. And in your position of power can tempt you to feel like you're pretty special. So Daniel says, you got a lesson to learn, king. Daniel 4.32, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives power to whoever he wants to. Hey, king, the only reason you're the king is because God made you king. I wouldn't flaunt that, is what Daniel says. But you know the story. He does go crazy. 
He does eat grass like an animal. He is driven out of society. And he does learn this lesson. You don't rule, Nebuchadnezzar. God rules. You just get a little slice of the pie because of his grace. Here's Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. And at the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes into heaven and my understanding returned unto me. I I came to my senses about who I was and who God was. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that does what? Lives forever. I just lived for a few years, Nebuchadnezzar realized. Wow, my life's pretty short compared to forever. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what are you doing? Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar needed to get a a clearer understanding that his kingdom, although he thought it was pretty special, was temporary and God's kingdom is is eternal. When we forget how eternally powerful God is, we also forget how weak and puny and temporary we are. Would you remember maybe one of the most well-known Bible stories in the Old Testament? Goliath forgot God and lost the battle even though he thought he was pretty special. Right? Goliath was the guy. Growing up, everybody's like, wow, you're amazing. You're huge. You're strong. You're the toughest guy in the room. And Goliath started to believe it. Right? Forgot God and lost even though he was the favored champion. David was just a boy. He remembered God and was able to win the battle. So Goliath is pretty big stuff compared to David, but he's nothing compared to God. Does that make sense? Goliath is really big stuff compared to David, but compared to God, he was so nothing. It reminds me of this song. We sang it last week. Who has held the ocean in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Do you remember the tune? Can you sing it with me? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. Behold our King. Nothing can compare Come, let us adore Him. Kings and nations tremble at His voice. This is the king that Paul described to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he said, which in time He will show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, speaking of Jesus, who only hath immortality. There's no one like him. And smart kings, when they realize this, they tremble and they run. Notice verse number six, it says that fear takes hold of them there and pain as of a woman in travail. Fear takes hold of those that threaten him. A couple of weeks ago, Johnny illustrated it this way. Like sometimes we're like the toddler coming after God and questioning what he's doing. And God has his hand on our forehead. Going, please, In time, you'll understand, right? That reminded me a little bit of my childhood. I had two older brothers. I experienced that hand on the forehead a couple of times. I also experienced this. I don't know if you've ever done this before or not, but somebody who clearly outmatches you like a big brother, and you walk by and you give them one of these and then run. You know what I'm saying? Like, get out of the Whoa, get out of there as quick as possible. Mom, 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 he's chasing me. He's trying to kill me, right? This is exactly... What the psalmist is describing here, like they panic. Like as a woman, it says in travail, ladies that have given birth, you understand this more than I do, certainly, and more than the men in the room do. But there's not a lot of other things you want to think about when you're giving birth, right? It's all about the pain and getting that taken care of. This is exactly what 
somebody who threatens God, he says it consumes them. The fear consumes them. It's all they can think about. And then notice in verse number 7, both God's creation and man's creation are nothing to him. It says he breaks the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. Man's most powerful creation, a ship, is like a toy to God. Human philosophies and arguments pale in his presence. Anything you can create is under his control. Anything he can create is under his control. Our God is eternally praiseworthy. He's eternally fearsome. And lastly, he's eternally dependable. A finite creature will never be disappointed with an eternal God. What you've heard about him is eternally true. Verse 8, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever, Selah. Verse number 8. His faithful love and mercy are worth contemplating Verse number 9, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Where would you be? Have you ever thought about this? Would you just, let's put the pause on the busyness of life for just a minute. Think about where you would be without God's love. Think about where you would be without John 3.16. Think about where you would be without God's mercy and grace. Where would you be? Here's what the psalmist says. I've been thinking about your love, God. I've been thinking about it. And it reminds me that because you're eternal, your love is eternal. Can I just tell you, church, that if you're too busy to think about God's love, you're too busy. Are you looking for Him? Are you looking for the greatness of God in His Word? Are you looking for the greatness of God in the church? Are you looking for the greatness of God in nature and in beauty? Do you ever contemplate God's great reputation? And maybe you say, well, with the people I interact with, God doesn't have a great reputation. Well, think about heaven for a second. He's got a great reputation, right? In fact, the angels surround his throne in worship all of the time. Jeremiah understood this eternal nature of his faithfulness and mercy lamentation chapter 3 it's of the lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not they are new every single morning great is thy faithfulness O god year after year generation after generation millennia after millennia nation after nation leader after leader god is faithful and his mercies are new Thirdly, his righteous name is perfectly eternal. Look at verse number 10. According to thy name, or like your name is, O God, so is your praise. You ever thought about that? Even God's name holds his eternal and unlimited power. You ever thought about that? You remember Moses in Exodus chapter 3? <laughs> Moses is standing before the burning bush, you know, like trying to talk to God. And he says, God, I've got a question. When I go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the earth, when I go to him and he says, um, who is this God? What should I tell him? And God says, well, give him my name. And Moses says, oh, well, what is your name, God? And God says, my name is I am. Moses, you can just kind of see the wheels turning like, what does I am mean? And God says, I am means that I am the God who was. I am the God who is. And I am the God who will be forever. I am the eternal God. Every time, Moses, you hear my name, I want you to think eternity. Eternity past and eternity future. I am the God who is, who was, and who is to come. What an incredible name. His name means eternal Remember in John chapter 18 when Judas brings the band of soldiers and religious leaders to the garden and they see Jesus? You remember this story? And they come and Jesus says, who are you seeking? <laughs> As if he didn't know. And they say, we're seeking Jesus. And he goes, I am. Remember what happens? Everybody falls over flat. Why? They just encountered God. Jesus, the God who 
was and the God who is and the God who forever will be the eternal, wise, potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, the great I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, the Pharisees said, who do you think you are? You've talked to Abraham? And Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> the very name of God. I was there a long time before Abraham. And I'm going to be there a long time after Abraham. And then fourthly, his judgments, his words and opinions are perpetually joy-giving. Verse number 11. Let the Mount Zion rejoice and the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. It actually reminds me of Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You ever just get a hold of the truth, a truth from Scripture, just one little truth from Scripture, and be like, wow, that is like, whoo, that's powerful. What joy, what happiness, what peace. That brings to my life. That's what the psalmist is saying. Lord, your judgments, your opinions, your words perpetually bring joy as an eternal God to every generation. And so, our God is forever and ever. This is the summary, verse number 14. Our God is forever and ever. Would you just think about a little bit of scripture with me this morning as we conclude? Think about God's eternality and worship him for a moment. Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, help me finish the verse, thou art God, everlasting to everlasting. Isaiah 41, verse 4, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, the very first generation to the last? God answers his own question, I the Lord, the first and with the last. I am he. Every generation is mine. 1 Timothy 1.17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 10, verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth, and the things that are therein, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that they should be, that there should be no more time. No more time. How can God do that? How can God say, hey, there's not going to be any more time? Well, can I just tell you that when you're eternal, there's no beginning and there's no end? Time really isn't a constraint. It's not an issue. Peter talked about this in 2 Peter, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He does not care. He's been eternal in the past and eternal in the future. He just doesn't care about time. And he can say, time will be no longer. Revelation 4, verse 8, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and which is to come, the great I am. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven: the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are his everlasting arms. Isaiah forty twenty-eight: hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, <coughs> fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He is eternal. This, by the way, in case you've missed it thus far, this God is Jesus. This is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13, verse, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and what? Forever. There's only one being that is yesterday, today, forever. That is God. Here's Jesus Revelation 1.8, these are the words of Jesus to the church. I am Alpha and I am Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He is the everlasting God. You ever thought about this? Like nobody else can come close to claiming this. I'll give you a couple examples, all right? The, the landlord cannot claim his property is forever and ever. The king cannot claim his rule forever and ever. The businessman cannot claim his success 
forever and ever. The model cannot claim her beauty forever and ever. The athlete cannot claim his records forever and ever. But God can claim everything about himself forever and ever. See the contrast there? It's hard to even wrap our minds around. But what a comfort. Verse number 14 alludes to this, that we need a guide we got a few short years. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 70, maybe it's 100. We've got a few short years to live, and we need help from an eternal God that can see the whole picture. We need a guide all the way up through our death because we are finite. See the contrast? Forever and temporary. He's to be worshipped for this. So just a couple of thoughts in conclusion. Will you respond in worship to his eternality? Will you praise backwards? And by praise backwards, I mean this. Will you say, okay, everything God has done, I can worship him for because he's eternal in the past. And everything God will do, I can trust him for because he's eternal in the future. So his eternality should cause me to praise both ways for what he has done, for what he will do. I can look at what he has done and trust him for what he will do. Will you respond in worship? It's only right. Will you meditate on who God is like Nebuchadnezzar did for seven years? So that you don't forget who you are like he did for a while? Will you live for his eternal glory and not your temporary kingdom? And then lastly, again, this is, I think, a little bit ironic, but will you slow down enough to think about God's eternality? Slow down and think about his eternality? This morning, we're going to conclude our service with communion. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask that the guys gather up and come prepare. But before they do that, I want to just talk to you about beauty for a minute. And I want you just to hold in your head this idea of eternality. Okay? Let's talk about beauty just a little bit. So earlier I mentioned that this author, Brett McCracken, he describes beauty in terms of three things, or contrast, which we mentioned, tension and silence. So you say, well, okay, what's tension? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, what, how does tension make something beautiful? Well, like this, like good is more beautiful in light of evil. You with me? A hero is more impressive in light of the villain. If you ever watch a good story movie or read a good story book, you always have both, right? Because you can't really have a hero if there's not a problem. So you've got to have a hero and a villain. Light is more beautiful when it is contrasted with darkness. This is why we don't watch fireworks in the daytime. You with me? You want that tension between the two. Tension helps create beauty. But I want you to think about silence for just a second as well. Have you ever like, watched a really captivating movie and at the very end the lights go off and you're left with your thoughts and your popcorn? You know, There's beauty in the silence. Have you ever listened to a concert and at the very end there's a great big note at the end of and this is like, you hear the echo off all the walls. And then the crowd begins to roar, right? There's contrast there. We have the noise of the music. And then all of a sudden, this beautiful silence. Have you ever been observing something beautiful and somebody wouldn't be quiet? It's annoying because it doesn't fit. You're, you're standing at the Garden of the Gods in Colorado and you're just awestruck by these rock formations and there's somebody just jabbering away and you want to say, would you please shut up? I'm trying to... Did you not notice? It's not about you. <laughs> right? You want to say. Si- beauty is enhanced by silence. Now here's what I want to show you this morning. And this something I learned this week. Communion is beautiful for these reasons. It's beautiful. Not just because of who communion is about. It's about Jesus. 
There's beauty in that. And it's not just because who does it, it's the church. <clears throat> there's beauty in that. And there's not, it's not just because of what it means. It means that God, through his grace, saw fit to provide a payment for our sin. That is beautiful. But there's deeper beauty than that. There's more beauty than that. Think of the contrast for just a second. This morning, as we celebrate communion, there will be food and there will be beverage. Contrast. The food will be savory. The beverage will be sweet. The food is light. The beverage is dark. One is solid. One is liquid. There's the contrast of the already and the not yet. And what I mean by that is already Jesus has paid the price for our sin, but we've not yet been able to be glorified and be in his presence. And so there's that contrast that's going on. I want you to think of the silence for a second. Where else do you get a couple hundred people to be quiet? Except in church. There's silence. We're actually going to give you a moment this morning to contemplate communion. To examine yourself. To pray. Silence. It's a beautiful thing. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus said, hey, come to me and rest. Rest. Be quiet. Shh. Enjoy the beauty. And now think of the tension. I think this is really powerful. Think of the tension of communion. Because what we're talking about today is our sin and Jesus' perfection. His death and our eternal life. His condescension and our glory. Our temporary nature and his eternal nature. Everything about us is temporary and fleeting unless God rescues our soul and gives us eternal life. Our life's just a vapor. Over, just like that. Unless God brings meaning to it. And this morning, as we think about communion, it was Jesus' death on the cross. It was his broken body. It was his spilt blood that brings meaning to life and eternity. And so even though this is temporary, I mean, if you, were, if you came hungry, this isn't going to do much for you, okay? It's a one cracker, gone. One little piece of juice, gone. Very temporary. Us, in 80 years, all of us, gone. Very temporary. But God, eternal. The love of God, eternal. The gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, eternal. The life that he purchased, eternal. What beauty. What contrast, what tension, what silence. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the beauty of God. Oh God, before the mountains were brought forth, or days of spring and summer filled the earth, from everlasting, you are God. We dwell beneath the stars in ancient skies. A thousand years are nothing in your sight. From everlasting, you And all our days are held within your hands. Your perfect love and favor have no end. We rest within the wisdom of your plan. When joy and tragedy collide And loss reminds us life is but a sign From everlasting you are God And all our days are held within your hands Your perfect love and favor have no end 
we rest within the wisdom of your plan, everlasting God. O oh God of light, our ways are known to you. But by your grace, you're making all things new. So satisfy us in our numbered days. Establish every effort while we wait. From everlasting, you are God. And all our days are Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever.